Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Can you rejoice at the Word of God? Hallelujah! Amen and amen. Please have your seats in God's presence. Welcome your neighbor to your right and to your left to church. Let them know how excited you are to see them. Praise God. Give them a very honest compliment. Amen. A very honest compliment. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many of you love God's word? You love God's word. You're not faking the love. It's real love. <laughs> Amen. God's word is so sweet. It's so beautiful. So amazing. So amazing. It's amazing. And such a privilege to be here to teach you God's word. I don't take it for granted. You know, I tell people that sometimes they don't believe it that I get nervous sometimes. In fact, most times, most Sundays, I'm nervous before I come up stage. You see, I've done this for years. Um, this year makes it 10 years, actually. 10 years of actively teaching and preaching God's word. 10 years since um, November, since May 29, 2011. Um, which was when I became pastor full-time, well, not full-time, but on campus. Uh, till now, by God's grace, it's been such a swell time in God's word. And I don't take any time I spend in front of you for granted because I think it's such a huge privilege and honor to be an oracle of God. Amen. To be an oracle of God. And, <laughs> of course, not like we're taking cue from them, but there's a way the Babalaos do it, isn't it? There's a way they want you to esteem what they carry. So as you're entering into their shrine, they say, hey, remove your slippers, remove your shoe, bend, don't talk like that. Why? There's an atmosphere with which whatever they are saying must be received. And so they ensure that you hallow it so that you can receive it the way they are sharing it with you. All right? It's a principle. It's the principle of honor. So how you receive God's word is how the word of God will impact your life. If you receive the word of God in dishonor, it will not affect your life as powerfully as it ought and as it could. All right? So those who really honor God's word get a bountiful harvest of that word. The way you receive the word is the way the word of God will impact your life. All right? So someone says, God bless you. And you just say, well, that's, that's fine. And someone hears that God bless you and receives it with revelation, with honor. And continues to stay conscious of the fact that he's blessed. That word will impact his life. Even though a lot of people heard that God bless you and nothing happened. So honor is so important when it comes to relating and interacting with God's word. Alright. Several years ago when I was down with hepatitis B. God's word rescued me. God's word rescued me. Now imagine I leave that kind of a deathbed. And then I discount the word that rescued me. I dishonor the word that saved me. And, and for a lot of us here, you were born again, not by corruptible, but by the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. So that miracle of my healing is inferior to the miracle of your salvation. We just have not honored it enough. See, I, I was healed by the word of God. Yes, powerful as it is, it's inferior to the fact that you were saved by the word of God. You heard the word of truth preached unto you and your heart opened, you received it and you were transformed. You were changed by the power of the word of God. 
So when the Bible says in the Old Testament that I'm about to do a new thing, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, he's not talking about a new car. There are a lot of unbelievers that don't have, or rather they have more than enough cars than they can handle. So that cannot be the new thing he wants to do in your life. I will do a new thing and everybody's thinking about material things. No. He says, shall he not spring forth? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Who is the way? Jesus is the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me because I am the way. He's the way to the Father. He's the truth about the Father. And he's the life of the Father. Praise God. So when he says, I will do a new thing, he's talking about the new creation he's about to do. He's the new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's the new thing God is doing in your life. It's not any car. It's not any house. It's not any marriage. He's, he's present in your life. He wants to invade your territory and take abode, permanent abode in your heart. That's the new thing. But a lot of us don't honor it. We are still looking for the cars. I, I, I want the new thing. What the Lord does new never gets stale never get stale that car will go old and get stale and we need maintenance and replacement and repairs but the new creation though your outward man perishes your inward man is renewed day after day after day so when he says i will do a new thing he's talking about something beyond carnal realities something beyond what your eyes can see what you can taste smell or feel what your five senses can perceive much more than that much more than that I will do a new thing. I will make a way in the wilderness. Your heart was a wilderness before Jesus came there. It was a wilderness. No way. No, 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 no sense of direction. No. Bible says you were without God in this world. Lost. Shaken by every vicissitude of life. You, could, you had no anchor. Anything the realities of life said you should do. Those were the things you were doing. No sense of direction. No, no ideology with which you governed your affairs. Nothing. You were a wilderness. No matter how much money you had. Before Christ, your life was a wilderness. I will make a way in the wilderness. And Bible says rivers in the desert. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And this spake he of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Which had not been given because Christ had not been glorified. John 7, 39. And that tells you that the combination of receiving Jesus into your heart and the Holy Ghost into your heart is the newest and the most powerful thing the Lord can do in your life. Make you a new creation. All things passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's the new thing. That's the new thing. That's the new thing. He made a way in your wilderness. He made a river in your desert. And now you're new. Bible says it ought not to remain a well. It should spring forth into everlasting life. What the, the Bible says, shall it not spring forth? Shall it not spring forth? Shall it not spring forth? Those realities are wells, but you need to stir them up. You need to honor the word of God. You need to honor the presence of God in your life. Eli couldn't live in an Israel without the presence. He just died. He couldn't live in an Israel without the presence. His wife did not name his child after the departure of his father. His wife named his child after the departure of the ark, Ichabod. The power of God's presence. It's more than anything. More than what money can buy. And I just feel in my heart to just stay on this point for some moments. You need to prioritize the presence of God. You need to prioritize your relationship with God. You need to prioritize it. It needs to become the most important thing to you. It needs to become the most important thing to you. It needs to just become everything. 
Not one of those things you manage and, you know, maintain on the side. God is not your side chick, all right? He's everything. He's everything. That's the new thing he wants to do. That's the new thing. Father, we give you praise and glory. So this morning, open your heart because you're about to receive God's word. And of course, we're going to go along in the same teaching that we started eight weeks ago now. Is this the seventh or eighth installment? It's the eighth installment. Powerful. Uh, what the Lord has been doing in our midst, just explaining things to us as inspired by the Holy Ghost. Amen. There are three portals through which the Holy Ghost serves God's word to his people. Three portals. And these are things that the Holy Spirit shared with me over the course of the week. And they were really profound. All right. Three portals through which the Holy Spirit shares all right, his word to God's people. The first portal is the doctrinal portal. The doctrinal portal. That is the portal where, you know, a teacher, a pastor begins to exegete and begins to explain in very clear details the realities of the kingdom. Things concerning faith, things concerning grace, things concerning mercy, you know, line upon line, here a little, there a little, you know, by comparing scripture, ensuring that the twin scriptures and the corroborating, you know, scriptures in the word of God, all right, establish truth. In a certain way. Do you understand that? That's doctrine. Doctrine is laborious for the teacher and is boring for the receiver. <laughs> Amen. All right. So people don't enjoy doctrinal teachings as much. But you see, that's where the mature ones, that's where they are built. Amen. So as you grow in your faith, you begin to have this affinity for doctrine. All right. You, be just, you just begin to like the idea of getting to know more of doctrine. All right, when I got on, on campus, I, I just started to listen more to Andrew Womack. Beyond any person that would inspire me and get me all excited. And I just wanted to listen to him because he had, he had such a strong teaching anointing. And almost everything he shares are doctrinal. And so the more you mature in the things of God, the more doctrine you want to hear. Your, 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 your appetite for doctrine increases. Your sensitivity for doctrine increases. Because you, under, you would understand the whole counsel. So what we see in the epistles are very doctrinal. Amen. That's Paul being doctrinal in his approach to teaching God's word. Amen. So there is a doctrinal approach which is the most powerful. All right. <laughs> Doctrine can go on for hours. Praise God. All right. And you must be willing to receive doctrine. And that's what we try to do in this house as well. All right, so we're not just trying to inspire you and get you all excited every Sunday and there's really no conversion. Like we said, you need to see, perceive, all right, understand and then convert it. Without that conversion, your life will not change. You will just be coming to church, you will not look like what you've been hearing over all these years. Your life will not look like it because you're not being converted. You're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so your appetite for doctrine has to increase. So it's not every time someone has to come and, you know, there's <laughs> something happens with me and, of course, with us and Tiara Olua, my daughter, you know, how that a lot of times when she's being fed, she can't just be fed alone. She's got to be playing. So you have to put a lot of things in front of her. She's got to be able to see Cocomelon in front of her, see Legos around her, and then while she's playing, then you're feeding her. While she's playing, you're feeding her. She can't just eat. Uh-huh, she just confirmed it. She can't just eat and say, okay, it's time to eat, let me just eat. Let me focus and eat. A lot of believers are like that. So if there's no comedy in church, if there's no excitement in church, if there's nothing to excite there and tickle their fancy, and then we, can't, we now slot the word somewhere in between, they are not ready to receive it. It's a, it's a sign of childishness, all right? 
if you call for a five-hour word service, maybe only six of us will show up. <laughs> Praise God. You see, but the people that show up, are that, those are the ones that really know what it means to be a believer, to be a disciple. But when we, you know, when we call for a meeting where there are several attractions, but you see, there are distractions to the word. Amen. But there are side attractions, and those are the things that are keeping you. And then while you are so fixated on those attractions, they just lot in the word. They just trick the word in your mouth, and you collect it because, well, after the word and before the word, there will be things that will get you excited. You need to grow beyond that level. You need to grow beyond that level. And that means your appetite for doctrine has to increase. The Bible says in the last days, people will not want to hear sound doctrine anymore. They will heap teachers after teachers, people that, they, that say things that they like to hear. People that will say things that get their heart waxed gross. People that will just consolidate on their iniquity and make them feel comfortable in sin. Those are the people they begin to listen to in the last days. They become boastful, unthankful. Praise the name of the Lord. But that's not our portion. So here what we're trying to do is to build excellent disciples through the balanced teaching of God's word and exemplary leadership. That's what we're trying to do. And, and here we're not in a hurry. We're not trying to excite you so you can join us. Yes, there's a lot of joy and excitement in this house. We are God lovers. So you can't be here and not get wet. Praise God. You can't be in water and not be wet. There is joy of the Holy Ghost in here. Hallelujah. So we're, we're God lovers. We're excited people. But God's word is paramount. It's essential. It's everything to us. It's everything. So that's the mindset. That's the mindset. And you see sometimes, and I'm just speaking by the spirit right now. Sometimes you see ministries who get too seeker friendly to be spiritual. Too seeker friendly to be efficient. Too seeker friendly to really develop saints. It is when we get to heaven we begin to see the backlash. Because there was a church in Revelation. Bible says when they got to the heavens. And the Lord began to read out their report card. He said, you guys, everybody thought you were the best in town. Everybody came to you to copy your notes. How did you do your services? How come you have 5,000 members in two years? How are you able to do these things? You were rich. You had all the resources you needed. You were changing venue like clothes. You were just replacing stuff. You guys were doing so well. But when I look at you, I'm seeing a barren church. I'm seeing a naked church. I'm seeing a church that is naked, that is shameless. A church that has no record in heaven. Barren, blind, naked, without any productivity as far as heaven's calendar is concerned. Wow. But on this side of the divide, they were the best church in town. People were going in thousands to those churches, getting excited that, yes, we are part of something global. It's beyond being global. It's about being eternal. It's about being eternal. It's about being eternal. Amen. It's about being eternal. We are equipping you for eternity. Do you know your growth on earth will determine your stand in heaven? Why are we doing all of this if there is no essence to spiritual growth? Then the moment you get born again, just pack your load and move. There is a reason why you need to grow. Hallelujah. It has a coefficient in the scheme of things in the last days. That's a coefficient. So you need to grow. You need to take your personal growth and development and things of the spirit very personal. Beyond how your pastor even projects it. Very personal. Something you don't take for granted. Something you take very seriously. Because at the end of the day, your career will be gone. At the end of the day, there is no marriage in heaven. At the end of the day, the things that you really care so much about are very flimsy and temporary. 60 years and you can't even remember. The, you can't try to fathom the amount of importance you placed on something that was so transient. 
You can't fathom it. And then there is an eternity waiting for you. You had better prepare for that eternity. And so it's beyond being doing something global, something popular, something that everybody will be excited about. It's not, it's not so much about excitement as much as it is about efficiency and development in the things of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So doctrine, doctrinal portal, is the least traveled road, especially for our Generation Z people. All right? <laughs> but it's important for your development. Then there's the revelational portal. This is the portal where I'm reading the scripture. I'm reading scripture, things that I do, you, you may never be able to connect to the revelation of Christ. The Holy Ghost will just come upon you and you will see Christ there. You will just see Christ. It may be a genealogy. You are reading names that you can't even pronounce and at the end of those genealogy, you find Christ. Not because Christ is written there, but because the Holy Spirit has inspired those pages of scripture. And now they are inspired. And now you see Jesus. Because from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about revealing Jesus. It's all about revealing Jesus. And so there are a lot of revelational teachings where, you know, I open scripture to you. The scripture you've been reading all your life. But I bring out a dimension that is unique. That is so profound, explorative. Almost as if I'm inviting you into a research field. And I'm helping you see dimensions in the word of God that you did not know existed. Revelational teachings. A lot of us like revelational teachers because they are very thought-provoking. They're like, mm, mm, that one enter. You know, it gets you excited. It gets you to think. It gets you to contemplate. It makes you so in awe of the very many dimensions of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Revelational teachings. And then we have prophetic teachings. You see, prophetic teachings, you can't prepare for them. Hallelujah. Prophetic teachings are as inspired by the Holy Ghost. You see, what Jesus did with those guys on the road to Emmaus was revelational. What Stephen did on, in Acts 7 was revelational. Places they did not see Christ, he brought Christ from there. He summarized the entire Bible. And at the end of the whole summary, Christ was revealed. Revelational. When revelation is happening, boy, people's hearts are transformed. People are just wild. Like, what? How did you see Christ there? Revelational. But prophetic, you see, prophetic is when the Holy Ghost comes upon you while you're teaching God's word and then you are addressing specific situations in people's lives. You can't rehearse that. You can't meditate into that. The Holy Ghost just comes upon you and utterance is given and you are speaking directly to people's lives. And all you're doing is teaching. But instructions have been given. People are receiving instructions. They know what to do about a particular situation. They are receiving counsel, sound counsel and advice just by listening to a teaching. They just know what to do. There are some teachers you listen to and at the end of the day, you just know exactly what to do about that situation you've been praying about. Those are prophetic teachings. What Jesus did with the woman at the well of Sychar, that's prophetic. He didn't have all the time in the world. It was just a 10 minutes or 15 minutes break. His, his uh, disciples had gone to get food. So he just had a little break to just speak to a woman, convert her soul. You can't establish someone in 10 minutes. But prophetic teaching can do stuff. Hi. And he just began to speak. He said, go and bring me your husband. I said, I don't, yes, you have spoken right. And he began to tell her details about her life. Boy, by the end of that conversation, she was converted. 10 minutes. Prophetic. 10 minutes. Baba don't finish work. He was done. Guess what? He harvested the whole city from that investment. She went into the city, brought all the people out, and then he spoke to all of them, got them saved. Wow. Prophetically. 
Sometimes you don't have the time to establish people in doctrine. Sometimes you don't have the time to exegete revelation. But prophetically, you speak to someone on the road, especially when you're doing evangelism, you're in your office, you just rely on the Holy Ghost. And he helps you speak prophetically into people's lives. And boy, people are getting transformed and changed. Amen. These are the three portals through which God serves his word to his people. Every assembly should be exposed to a very fair dimension of these three dimensions. A very, a very fair portion or balanced meal of these three dimensions. Alright, doctrine governs the three. That means there's no revelation you want to reveal that should be outside the framework of doctrine. There is no prophetic, you know, teaching or elaboration or comprehension or understanding or whatever it is you want to give us insight that is prophetic that must be outside of the bandwidth of the accommodation of doctrine. That is, we must be able to vet it with God's word. These things you're saying, are they accurate? Are they true? Are they relevant? Are they things that are consistent with the spirit of prophecy? All right, based on scripture. So it is those who are skilled in doctrine that can navigate prophetic teachings and revelational teachings most accurately. They are skilled in doctrine. They know what is not of God. And you see, doctrine may not sound so inspired, but it's the most inspired of the three. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Doctrine may not sound, because it's Bible, it's just, it's, see, it's regal to establish doctrine. Because you have to read what is said about that thing in Genesis, what is said about that thing in Micah, what is said about that thing in Revelation, in Jude. Just bring everything together, understand how it works. See the law of first mention. It's regal, it's research. There's a methodology to establishing doctrine. So a lot of people don't like to go through that regal. <laughs> Praise God. So doctrine is not the easiest and it's also the most boring for those receiving it. So you, you can't really see the essence, quote and unquote, when you're listening to someone who is teaching doctrine. The best majority is sounding very, very dry and just telling you to open scripture, open scripture. But that is work. How he found those scriptures out is work. How he was able to link scripture to scripture is work. Those that labor in the word, that's why you need to give them double honor because it's work. It's labor, it's rigor to establish people in doctrine because that is how you establish people in the strongest if all I'm doing is giving you prophetic words, prophetic words, you will not be, you'll be quashiokod. Because you would only be coming to church to receive an instruction to help your life and your needs. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see the, word, the, the church as shrine. Where you just come, you knock, and then you receive a word, you go, and, you go and execute it, and then you, it helps you, you know, it affects your life, and you're looking for people to invite. That I know someone, you know the way they do it, a referral. I know a place, just come, they will give you the answer. That's not why you come to church. You come to learn Christ. Not to just receive answers for your own personal problems. So if all you do is, and that's, you see, these things I'm sharing with you are so profound. And that's why by, so for example, a prophetic word, a prophetic teaching has a way it's projected. For example, if I say my time has come, that's the title of the teaching. You, you should be able to tell that that's a prophetic word. So people who have been delayed all their lives, if they come for that meeting, many of them will receive answers. Because the preaching of the word is prophetic to answer questions in people's hearts, to solve problems. My time has come. And they'll carry a verse of scripture and they'll exegete on it for a, and they'll begin to prophesy and give utterances and begin to dish out that word. People's lives will be changed. And people would love to come for such words. So you say, you know, 
power night or every month or something like that, and then you create a program around it, and every time you have that kind of program, people will come for answers. You can't establish people on such programs. You can't establish people on such programs. It has its place. It has its place. In the local assembly, everyone should have a fair share of these three portals. Experience these three portals. Magnifying doctrine above all else. Because when you're established in doctrine, you can see more clearly the revelation of Jesus in scripture. That way, if all you have is Exodus, you can still preach Christ from there. Because you understand doctrine. Now you can teach revelationally. And then of course, as much as you allow yourself to flow with the person of the Holy Spirit, you can preach prophetically. Several times I've taught here, a lot of people after service, will, I, I, I got answer for a particular situation in my life. That's prophetic. I didn't know. I was just teaching. I was just teaching. And then they were receiving answers, clarity. I was prob probably even using an example that they can relate with so well. I didn't think of that. It was just the Holy Spirit that gave me that illustration or that example in the spur of the moment to answer a question in someone's heart. These are the three portals through which... The word of God is served to God's people. But above all, magnified doctrine above all else. Did you get that? Yes, Amen. 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 All right. So that's one of the first things the Holy Spirit would have me share with you this morning. Amen. Amen. The second thing I'd like to share with you is, was, was inspired by one of the questions that I received over the course of the week around the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, but before I go there, let me, let me address this one as well. There's this one I, I need to address. You know, there's this idea that um, there are, there are, you know, apostles to the marketplace. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've heard that terminology before. I'm an apostle to the marketplace. I'm an evangelist to the marketplace. Almost secularizing the ministry gifts. I'm sure you've heard it before. I, am I saying what you've not heard before? I'm sure you've heard it before, you know, I'm an apostle to the marketplace. Now, I need to address that because I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Now, um, I'm not speaking this from a very authoritative point of view. As much as possible, I'm, I'm sharing this based on the understanding of God's word that I have in my heart and how I feel inspired at this moment. All right. So I don't believe there's such a thing as an apostle to the marketplace because I think it's a delusion sponsored by hell to make people who are not doing the will of God feel comfortable in the secular. I'll say that again. There are people who God has instructed to do ministry. Instructed to do something specific to ministry. Then they got sidetracked. They got distracted. Went into secular things. Got there. Made money. Pioneered stuff. Did stuff. And then became more open to the idea of an apostle to the marketplace. Almost to compensate for a lack of obedience. Obedience will always be better than sacrifice. Because I think that is where that teaching was sponsored from. That motive. That's the motive. Amen. The fivefold ministry gift is designed only for the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their work was very clear. The JD was very, very clear and lucid. For the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. You see, the work of the fivefold ministry is towards the saints, not towards the world. Towards the saints. Do you hear me? Towards the saints. So if you're a fivefold minister, 
you are sent to the saints, not to the world. Don't convert your field, your platform to the saints or to the church. It's not the church. If God has told you to do something, go and do it. Don't say, well, I'm an apostle to the marketplace. And in your mind, what you are doing is apostolic. Nah. I understand the place of how that the fivefold ministry gifts have a type and shadow in the marketplace, in the secular world. And I'm going to explain. Amen. What I'm doing this morning is more of doctrine. So you've got to endure sound doctrine. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so you need to understand this. So yes, the fivefold ministry gifts have a type and shadow in the way they are approached. That is, there are some things in the secular that have the look and feel of a ministry gift. For example, entrepreneurs are apostolic. Huh? Entrepreneurs are apostolic because they are pioneers. They are groundbreakers. That is what that's exactly what an apostle does. He's a groundbreaker. He goes to new terrains. Just like an entrepreneur enters into a new industry or, be, or starts a new thing in is a, a, an existing industry, differentiates himself either by going to a new location, starting a new product line, or a, a targeting a new demography. One way or the other, he differentiates himself and starts a new work. That is very similar to how an apostle works. So this will be established, let me go to Antioch, let me go to Thessalonica, let me go to Colossae, let me go to Philippi, all right? That is apostolic. The entrepreneur has a look and feel of the apostle. Amen. Data analysts, investment bankers, financial economists and strategists, most of these guys have the look and feel of prophets. With their projections and their analytics, they tell you where to invest, how to manage your portfolio, which one is about to crash. They check the stock exchange. They see all the trajectories of all the products. They tell you how to manage your portfolio, the things to buy, the things to not buy, the things to sell now. Almost as though they are foretelling into the future, seeing how things are going to play out and telling you how to act today so that you don't become a victim of that crash. That's prophetic in its nature. So you have people in the secular who have roles and designations that are prophetic in its nature. It doesn't make them prophets. The evangelists have their type and shadows as marketers. All right? They are the marketers, quote unquote, because whatever it is that you have as a product will not sell until someone bolongos it. Amen. Until someone takes that product and takes it to the market and makes it go abroad. So the PRs, the adverts, the branding, the, all of that, that's PR advertisement. Marketing is evangelistic. Bible says the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of them that published it. Evangelists are publishers. God loves you. How does he show it? He will heal you now. He will do miracles now. He loves you. Get in now. Get in. Get into the ark. They are evangelists. So marketers have that look and feel of the evangelistic. Pastors are like the managers. So for every pioneering work that an entrepreneur does, he needs a manager to establish it and consolidate on it. Else, he will just keep pioneering, nothing will last. Because pioneers don't stay in one place. Most serial entrepreneurs want to get into another field, you know, diversify, all of that. So a pastor is the manager. He's the one that consolidates on a particular operation, ensures the day-to-day -day running of that 
entrepreneurship drive that you had as a pioneer, he ensures that it continues to thrive and develop. That's a manager. And of course, we have the consultants who are the teachers who break things down, who recognize the issues, the problems. And so you can see the secular approach or the secular, there's a word I'm looking for, the secular correlation, yes, we could use that, of those fivefold ministry gifts. You can find, you know, correlations and equivalents, quote unquote, in the way they are demonstrated or dispensed. In the secular world. It does not mean they are the apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists. and It does not mean that. Hallelujah. So I understand sometimes the logic of, oh, if this is the type of appeal or the type of role you are doing in the marketplace, maybe you're an apostle. No. Maybe you're an evangelist. No. The evangelist, the apostle, the prophets, the pastors and teachers are sent to the saints. What you are doing is it to the saints? You are making money for your boss. You say it's to the saints. I say you're an apostle to the marketplace. No. No such thing. Hallelujah. Your work may be apostolic. It may be evangelistic. It may be pastoral. In its appeal. In its approach. It does not mean you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, or pastor. Amen. Amen. I needed to say that. So that you would not have that sense of, oh, I'm an apostle to the marketplace. You know, yes, God can send you into a place as... To wield it as a platform. But if you wield it as a platform, no matter how successful you are in that field, in that platform, you are the best of that type of profession. If you do not now see opportunities to do ministry inside that place, you are not any apostle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because listen, ministry should end in the souls of men. For the conversion of the heart of people. So that they can become like Christ. That is the end point of every ministry gift. So that you can convert the souls of men. Alright, so for, for someone who is in ministry, in, in, uh, you know, mainstream fivefold ministry, you are always in the field of souls. So even when you are doing your work, your regular 9 to 5, you are looking at people as souls. How can I engage this person? How can I engage this guy? How can I talk to this person that will make their heart open to me so that I can get inside with the word of God? So that I can change their heart. To the degree that you do such types of endeavor in your secular office, it is to that degree you are doing ministry. Your being the best in that space does not mean it's ministry. Do you understand? Because if it is not to the end that souls are saved, converted, people are becoming like Christ, it's not ministry. It's career, it's ambition. Call it what it is. Don't call it ministry. So the drive to become the best should be supported with the opportunity that drive will give you to minister to souls. Not just, oh, let me be the best so that I can be a good example of a Christian. It's a good thing. But if you're not doing ministry, you're not doing ministry. Simple. Amen. Amen. And we all ought to do ministry. Because we all have ministries. All of us. All of us have ministries. So in your space as demand planner, how are you doing ministry there? That's the question. In your space as a data analyst, how are you doing ministry there? Because careers can change. It does not, it does not mean ministry changes. Your purpose will not change. Your career can change. Your designation can change. Your, your location can change. Your, anything can change with respect to your career, your ambition, where you are working part-time. But what God has called you to do does not change with whatever career you change. Amen. So the question is, as I am doing this work right now, in this organization, in this company, 
What is the ministry for me to do here? Where are the field of souls that I'm called to impact, to touch? Amen. So that leads me to my next thought, which is there are offices, there are roles, and there are tools. Amen. These things I'm sharing with you are things the Holy Spirit inspired in my heart, and I feel they're very profound. Amen. Praise God. All right. Not everybody is called to be in the fivefold ministry. And I think that's the challenge. Because everybody, there was a time it was like a thing that you are one of the fivefold. You have to be one of the fivefold. Especially on campus, you know, sometimes <laughs> you're on campus, you just carry one revelation to the extreme. You know, especially if you hear it from those in Lagos, we just feel that anybody <laughs> who is doing ministry in Lagos, ah, his ear is to, he's, he's on God's chest. He hears God. So once we carry that revelation, we come on campus and we just spread it abroad. All right? And then there was a time it was becoming a thing that if you, you can't be a Christian and not be in the fivefold, and then they realize that they cannot pioneer work. They can't evangelize they are not they don't do crusades they are not teachers of the word like that they are not pastoral god has not told them to start a church but they can do business well ah, i must be an apostle to the marketplace so they began to secularize the ministry gift so as to accommodate the doctrine that everybody is called into the fivefold ministry gift do you understand so they knew that their space was primarily not in the church so wherever they found that space they ministerialized it <laughs> amen do you understand what i'm saying they now spiritualized that career that secular vocation they now spiritualized it and said that's my calling that's not your calling if it does not have conversion if, if it's not connected as a funnel to christ it's not ministry it's career it's ambition it's what it is okay so there are offices and everybody is not in the fivefold ministry gift Everybody's not there. If everybody's there, who are, they, who, are they, who are they developing? Who are they equipping? If everybody's there, who is equipping who? <laughs> that means they're just butchering themselves and <laughs> murdering themselves. Pastor will, pastor, prophet, prophet will prophesy over the pastor. Pastor will come and teach the teacher. <laughs> teacher said, uh, uh, calm down. There has to be the people, the, the lady, the pews. But everybody in the pews also have ministries. Only that it's not the fivefold ministries. The fivefold ministries are less fluid. There are five. Not everybody's there. An analysis gave that only about 5% of the church, the body of Christ, is called into the fivefold ministry. Maybe that's also why it's called fivefold. All right? Only about 5%. So every under member church, maybe five people are called core into fivefold ministry. But all the hundred are called into ministry. And the fivefold, there are responsibilities to get the 95 into their ministries. Do you understand? That's the responsibility of the five. Get the remaining 95 into their ministries so that they can do the work of the ministry. So that the whole body can be edified. Because the pastor, teacher, apostle, the fivefold cannot edify the body of Christ. They teach the saints so that the saints can get into their ministry gifts. And then everybody now edifies the body of Christ. 
Only the pastors and the fivefold ministry gift cannot edify the whole body of Christ until the whole body enters into their respective ministries. Amen. Amen. So we have the offices, the fivefold ministries. They are less fluid, they are more traditional and classic. You can't, they are not as fluid. Then we have the support roles. The support roles are some things I shared from last week. All right, the helps ministry. And under helps, we have several types of helps. There are those that helps with, well, help with administration. Those that help with intercession. Those that help with other things, work, logistics, whatever it is. Helps. Diverse. All right? They are givers. They are charity workers. They are um, exhorters. Those that prophesy. Support roles. These support roles are more fluid than the gift or rather the, the offices. The fivefold office. The support roles are more fluid. That is, you can have someone operating more than one, two support roles within a period of time. Much more than you can have that within the bandwidth of the ministry gift. These things I'm sharing with you, I've not heard it before. But I believe it is in line with scripture. And I'm going to share with you why. These are things that I believe the Holy Spirit shared with me. And it's important because, you see, sometimes a teacher has the ability to clarify, classify, and categorize things in a way that people can better understand. Even though they are not clearly written in scripture like that. The way Brother Hagin classified the nine gifts into three, your power, vocal, and all of that. That's, it's, it's, it's a grace that teachers have. So you may not, have, you may not see power gifts in scripture. Say, so these are the power gifts. Oh, miracles, healings, faith. He's one that did it. He categorized it. And I'm sure he was inspired. And that way, a lot of people better understand it and can use what he has done to further the work of the ministry. So see what I'm sharing with you in the same light. Amen. Amen. So these offices are very traditional. You don't just port from pastor to prophet overnight. Yeah, you don't. You don't, you don't just port from apostle to, to teacher. No. Usually, you stay in that office either for life or for a considerable amount of years. The Holy Spirit, yes, can move you from an office to another office. Yes, he can. Brother Hagin is also a very good example for that. He experienced a fair share of all the fivefold within a lifetime. Within a lifetime, he experienced a fair share of all of them. All right, so it's not an impossibility. It's possible you move from pastor to evangelist, but you can't just be moving every year. Or every two years, you have to consolidate within an office. Praise the name of the Lord. But the support roles, you can, it's more fluid. You can have an exhorter who is a giver. You can have someone in helps who is also into charity. Support roles are more fluid. You can operate in one of these support roles for a considerable amount of months, years, and even for life as well. They are more fluid than the fivefold ministry gift. Then we have tools. The tools are the nine gifts of the spirit. They are not offices. They are not roles. They are tools. In one operation, if I'm a mechanic, I can use all the tools in my toolbox. One operation. But I cannot be a mechanic and an electrician at the same day. Do you understand? Do you get the gist? So in being a pastor, you can use all the nine gifts in one day, in one operation. In being a prophet, you can use all the nine gifts in one operation. Within one week, you can crisscross all the nine gifts of the Spirit. As you give yourself, you know, if you, as you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. In a crusade, let's say you are doing a seven-day crusade, you can, you can be moved in those nine per night. 
every of those nights you will move in those gifts. Because they are tools. As you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will just throw the tools to you. You, you need this one now. So use the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healing, discerning of spirit. You are just using it as you are going. The way Paul discerned that this lady that is crying after us, she's a demonic spirit. He just perceived in his spirit. He didn't need to enter into any office to use that tool. Those tools are available part-time as the Holy Ghost wills. Depending on the operation you're about to execute. So they are tools. So the nine gifts of the spirit are tools. And those tools are relevant in times and seasons based on context, situations and circumstances. Based on how the Holy Spirit wants to move. He throws those tools at you. They are not offices, they are not roles, they are tools. Because I see that sometimes when we read Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12, read Ephesians 4, everything is no longer clear. It's no longer very clear what we are reading. So this helps clarify what, I'm, what I've been sharing with you for the past several months, of past several weeks. They are ministry gifts. They are not as fluid. They are classical and traditional. You don't just move from office to office. So yesterday I was a prophet. Today I'm an apostle. So no, no, don't call me prophet again, please. I'm an apostle now. You don't do that. It's an office. You are there for a significant amount of time. You are there consolidating on that office. Because you can grow in your office. You can grow in the stature of that office. You can grow in it. You can grow in it. You can grow in it. Praise the name of the Lord. You can grow in it. And don't be too quick to define yourself and tell people what to call you. The fruit of your ministry will define you. Amen. Say, no, don't call, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. Don't tell people what to call you. Usually people call everybody pastor, usually. But the Lord knows what you are. And your fruit differentiates you. Your fruits differentiate you. When people come in contact with the fruit of your ministry, what you are is what you are to them because they can experience the fruit of your ministry. If you have a teaching ministry, people can tell you have a teaching ministry. If you have a prophetic ministry, people can tell. If you're a pastor, people can tell. By their fruits, we shall know them. Not by their names and appellations. Not by how long the initials are. By their fruits. So stop insisting on what you must be called. <laughs> I'm now reverend. I'm now reverend. Please don't insult me. Don't insult my spiritual intelligence. I, I, I've seen the Lord three times. What do you mean? I, I, calm down. <laughs> so you can't be calling me pastor again. I'm an apostle now. Three times. Have you seen the Lord once? <laughs> calm down. Tell your neighbor, calm down. Uh -huh. By your fruit, we'll know you. You'll just be faithful with the call of God upon your life. Your fruit will, will expose whatever it is that you have been called to do. So we have, we have offices, we have roles, and then we have tools. And any of the offices or roles can use all or any of the tools. Even though some offices and roles will need some tools more than others. An evangelist will need more of the power tools. That's his domain. He will use more of it. It does not mean a pastor cannot explore the power tools. It does not mean a teacher cannot explore the power tools. A prophet will do more of the vocal gifts and the revelational gifts. Because he's in that domain. He's seeing things at all times. He's seeing things and speaking things. He's a prophet. All right? So he will use those tools at, all, at least more often than the average ministry gift. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So, um, that, I just thought I should clarify that. Did that help someone? 
It's important for us to understand that. Amen. So, um, let me now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And then we'll go to the core of what the Lord would have us talk about today. Are you ready? <laughs> endure, endure sound teaching, endure. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. What I'm about to share with you is also very profound. <laughs> Most of the things I share with you. The reason is because I received them profound. So <laughs> I hope it would also be profound to you. <laughs> Amen. You see, God loves you. It's profound. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15. The Bible says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love unto all the saints. That's where I'm going to. That means the qualifier for the prayers from 16 to 23. Are predicated on this qualification. Your faith in the Lord and your love for the saints. Listen, this is why a lot of people never know their ministry. They will just never know it. They don't love the saints. That's why. That's why. God made it very clear to me. All this, what's my ministry? What's my ministry? Stop it. Then what, what do you think is my ministry? Oh, who am I? No, 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 really. Am I the one that made you? Why come to me and say, what do, what do you think is my ministry? What, what do you feel? Mm -mm. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I could tell. Of course, if you've been under my leadership for a period of time, I should be able to tell your slant, your you're leaning with respect to the call of God upon your life. God can even tell me about you. But that's not the primary route. God wants to talk, talk to you first about your ministry. But listen, what opens you up to that ministry is your love for the saints. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. Because look at the prayers Paul began to pray afterwards. So that you will come to the full understanding of the hope of your calling. So if you don't love the saints, you can't enter it. You don't love the saints. You need to love the saints. You need to come to church loving the saints. How can I be a blessing to the saints? That's what produces the, the, the ministries. Because look at all the ministries. It's towards the saints. Who are you prophesying to? Who are you helping? Who are you giving? And all the support ministry, the ministry did the fivefold. Everybody, which is to edify the body of Christ. The people in the body. So if you don't love the saints, you won't enter into your ministry. Simple and clear. No matter how loaded you are in terms of the calling of God upon your life, it won't materialize. The love of the saints is like the hot water. Your calling is like the tea bag. If you don't put that calling inside the context of the love for the saints, the dimensions of you will not come out. The same way you carry a tea bag, that's all it would ever be without hot water. Once you get into the hot water, every dimension inside it just finds expression. Love the saints. If you're a teacher, you will start teaching. If you are a teacher, you will start teaching. Just because you love the saints. The grace in you will find expression. Just by loving the saints. Oh, you will find expression. You won't need anybody to tell you. You just love the saints. You want to be a blessing. You just want to help. If you're a giver, you will start giving. If you love the saints, if you find someone to exhort and you're an exhorter, you will exhort the person. Because that is your calling. That is your ministry. But you've got to love the saints. Look at what Paul said. I think that's
not even one of the most profound parts of this particular string of scriptures. Because we just go to 16 in a hurry. We go to 16, not realizing that that entire string started from 15. If you have my type of Bible, you will see some portions of your scripture are emboldened. Like the 15 will be thicker than others. I don't know if you have that type of Bible. Oh, I, I thought it was a common feature. So some Bibles, they annotate some parts that start a new string of thoughts. So the number of that verse will be bolder. All right? Then when they're about to enter another string, they will embolden the number. Not all the numbers will be emboldened, but that one that starts it will be emboldened. So this entire Pauline prayer starts from not 16, 15. It starts from 15. So what Paul is saying is, when I, after I started hearing your love for the saints, I, I entered into the next gear for interceding for you. I couldn't be praying the normal prayers anymore. Your love for the saints provoked these prayer points. Yes, you are born again. You have faith in the Lord Jesus. But do you love the saints? That's the question this morning. If you love the saints, your gift will boo your... Amen. <laughs> That's the word. There's no English for it. It will... <laughs> it will come alive. It will come out. Love the saints. If you love the saints and you're a giver, you will give. If you love the saints and you're a teacher, you will teach. If you love the saints and you're an administrator, you will administer. You will love the saints. Because to what end do you do all these ministries for the saints? Look at Romans 16. The whole passage is full of names. Paul recounting, remembering, recalling, putting their names there. Do you know what it means for your name to feature in the canon of scripture? Canon is there for life. Your name is there. Paul wrote their name. He said, this person, you hosted us in this city. Let me put your name there. That, that is helps. That's hospitality there. Praise God. So if you don't love the saints, your name will not feature in some walls. Love the saints. Let's go to Romans 16. Let's go to Romans 16. So you see that nothing you do is unrecognized. God is seeing everything. You would think that only the people that preached with Paul are going to be mentioned. As little as those that gave water. The Bible says if you give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of the prophet, ah, the heavens recognize it. You will receive a prophet reward. Just by serving a prophet. Hospitable. Romans 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at, amen, <laughs> Centria, Syncria, Amen. I'm sorry. <laughs> that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatever business she has need of, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. What is that succorer there? Helps. She has comforted me. She has helped me. She has assisted me. She has supported my work in a way that others may not have. She deserves your help too. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. My helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Remember what I was saying about helpers last week? They may not care who gets the credit. They are just there to serve, to just serve and support and submit for as long as they need to. They are not looking for the spotlight. Bible says these two people were willing to lay down their necks. They were married though. They have children though. 
but they were willing to lay down their necks for Paul. Someone they were not tied to by blood. You need to see people revelationally. There are some people your destinies are tied to. Locate them. Serve them. God will honor you for serving them. Because they entered into the canon simply because they gave their necks up for Paul. Can you imagine that? And you, you, are, you have helps with to give, but you don't love the saints, so you don't give it. Love the saints. Who have for my life laid down their necks? Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Look at the commendation that you sustain the poor that sustained us. All the churches, their growth is credited partly to your account. Because you supported the person that is supporting us. All the churches, so I don't only give thanks to you. All the churches of the Gentiles that I'm responsible for, they are also grateful for you. Listen, God does a location. So if you invest in someone who eventually became a big deal in ministry, the credit does not go to that guy that became a big deal alone. Part of that comes to you. The guy that got Billy Graham saved, he was almost vexed. After, because Billy Graham was the only person that got saved. That night, imagine you preach your lungs out. Give your life to Christ. Nobody is coming forward. Did you hear me? I said, give your life to Christ. No, but, uh, the one small boy just shows up. Young boy, naive. And you just vexed. You bring your head. Receive Jesus now. <laughs> and you tell him to recite all the prayers. And you assume that that was just nothing. That was just a little boy. That guy raised boy. Millions. Millions. Imagine the person that got Reinhard Bonnke saved. 79 millions before he went to the Lord. Look at that. Guess what? That credit also goes to the people that saved them and established them in the faith. So when a teacher, a pastor, a ministry gift is spreading a seed, he does not know what it can be. He has no idea who these people can eventually become in the next 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. So those people that taught you in primary school, taught you in your teenager's church, you had better recognize them in the way they ought to be recognized. They invested in a, into you in a way that no other person could. It's really now that nobody wants to teach children anymore. Nobody wants to teach teenagers. They are the future, literally. I, I will be forever grateful for the people that established me while I was in that very nascent stage. Teenagers, they will give you tertiary, tertiary responsibilities. Just come and do this one. Come and sing. All those things were establishing us. We went to Federal Government College of Ogolu again. We just became church boys because we're already used to that protocol. Mr. Balogunteo forever. I would always be grateful for him. Fego. Those guys established us. There is nothing I'm doing today that will not be credited into their accounts. One by one. Praise God. So if I have the opportunity of writing, I will write their names. These guys entered the canon because they were faithful to their, they didn't say just give me mic until I grab mic. No, they supported their roles. They are not necessarily offices, they are roles and they served the roles. Helps, they helped. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Can you imagine? They hosted a church in their house and they may not have been the pastors of the church. Don't you understand? The church was the, in their house. I salute my well-beloved Epanetus, who is the first fruit of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. I like the way Paul describes their efforts. 
It doesn't just mention their names. It describes their effort. If I am to write a chronicle today and I'm writing every of your names, what will I write about you? Greet, let me look for a name that is not here. Greet Munitos. <laughs> Let's assume Munitos is in this church. Who comes late all the time? No, no, no. Let's be realistic. Greet Cavitos, who never pays tight. He made things tight for us in this church. We're always looking for how to raise funds. And he had money, but the Lord will recompense him according to his labor. That's how Paul was writing now. <laughs> or would you like me to call your name and say, Greet Habibus. <laughs> who is Habibus? <laughs> I'm sure we all know Habibus. <laughs> Because it looks like all those Greek names will have to end with us so that it can look Greek. Huh? What will I write about you? Bible says, obey them that have rule over you. And it says, submit to them. It says, so that when they are giving you, it says, submit to them as those that give account on your behalf. It says, so that they can do it with joy and not with grief. Because if they do it with grief, it's not profitable for you. Look at all the profits these people received just because they served Paul with all their hearts. What are you serving in this house? What are you serving? Greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Wow. Not small, much labor. She served with no sense of entitlement. She just served. Salute Andronikos. <laughs> and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now listen. They were apostles. So the others were not necessarily in fivefold ministry. That's why I didn't mention it. So if you notice all the names he had been mentioning, they were not fivefold ministry gifts. These ones were apostles. So he mentioned them as apostles. Paul did proper things. He called them by their capacity and their offices. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Obain, our helper in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodion, my kinsman. Greet them that are of the house of Narcissus. Wow. Narcissus, okay. But Narcissus, it's okay. Amen. Which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis. Which labored more? Ah, look at those things. Labor, labor, featuring. Are you laboring? <laughs> Remember, if you're into ministry, your ministry is to the saints. Look at all the people. What were they laboring on? Saints. So you say you are doing career, career ambition. You are not laboring for the saints. And you are calling it apostolic ministry. Apostle to the marketplace. Continue. Uh -huh. Continue. Because... You are making it look like those that are doing the work of the ministry don't have careers too. I do a 9 to 5, by the way. I'm sure you all know now. Paul had a tent-making business. But that is not the ministry. Those things aided the ministry. They supported the ministry. They funded the ministry. They are not the ministry. The ministry to the saints. For the souls of men to be converted. That everybody becomes like Christ. That's the aim of the ministry. Salute Tryphena, Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Wow. Ah, ah. Wow. Look, look at the memory of Paul. If 
Paul, as an apostle, remembered all this. How much more God? And I think that's the message here. Paul, I don't know how many years it took him to come to this point of writing this. But he remembered their names. He remembered who they should greet with those people. Remember to greet his mother and mine. Maybe his mother and my mother are friends. Do you understand? He remembered all these things. If Paul will not forget, how much more God forget your labor of love? He can't. He can't. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologos and Julia. Jul Julia, okay, yeah. Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. Not now. <laughs> the churches of Christ salute you. Praise God. Look at that. Look at that. Look at all the things that Paul remembered about all the people that helped his ministry. Check out almost all these guys must have been part of the support roles. Apart from those two apostles, the remaining were in the support roles. Ministering, giving, helping, administering, serving. That was their work. And they did it faithfully. So much so Paul recognized them, commended them. This is more than money. Hope you know. He mentioned their name in the canon. And there is a canon in heaven as well. It's called the book of life. Is your name written there? And in what light is it written? Giving grief to your pastors? Or joy to them. That is, if I have a work to do and I think upon you, I know the work will get done. Praise the name of the Lord. Now let's go to the core of what we have to say today. Romans chapter 12. Amen. Amen. Are you blessed? Yes, this is what? Doctrine. It's doctrine. It's doctrine. So <laughs> praise God. So we'll just run briefly through the remaining that we couldn't explore last week, all right? We stopped at what? Last week, we stopped at teaching or is it exhortation? We stopped at exhortation, yeah, we stopped at exhortation. No, 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 we stopped at uh, exhortation, yes, we stopped at exhortation. Then we have giving, ruling, and then mercy, according to KJV. Giving, ruling, and mercy. Amen. So, there are people who are givers, now, the beautiful thing about these rules, again, is the fact that, like I said about muscles, MD's muscle, amen? Now, we all have muscles. We all have muscle. But some muscles are more developed than others. Now, we all should be able to prophesy. We all should be able to give. We all should be able to exhort. We all should be able to, you know, minister, serve, help, rule, administer. That is, these dimensions, we all should be able to do measures of them. But there are some people that their role in those capacities are more pronounced than others. Those are the ones identified by those roles. Do you understand? So it does not mean because you are not a giver, you don't give. It does not mean because you are not a helps minister, you don't help. Me, I don't help people. Though. Me, I don't to help people. I'm not called into help ministry. <laughs> people help me. <laughs> I don't help people, please. You help. So you can explore these dimensions as a saint. You should serve people. I'm sure those guys that were serving Paul, they didn't have it in mind. They said, what am I? Oh, what am I? No, they were just serving as God gave them the capacity. <laughs> Praise God. All this is I'm teaching you is not to make you an analyst. So what am I? He's teaching prophetically now. 
He's about to get prophetic on us. Oh, yes. I can, I can pursue doctrine coming. <laughs> no. It's not to make you analyst and you go to ministries or you go to conferences and you're analyzing the teaching. Ah, the man of God first came with a prophetic insight. Then the second, ah, that one was doctrine, that one was doctrine. Ah, you didn't notice. It's doctrine. Doctrine. You are not an analyst. It's just to help you understand. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. I'm exhorting you in laughter. That's fine. It's exhortation. All right? So the point is, Givers are specifically tied to giving. People like that cannot be broke. They don't need to pray for money. You may recognize yourself in, the, in here. You don't look for money. Money looks for you. The reason is simple. When God gets money to you, he gets to other people. So God ensures that you never lack that resource called money. People like that can give and just continue to give. They don't keep account of what they've given. They don't remember the things they give. Who they gave, how they gave it. It's the book they've given that will be reminding them. You don't remember, ah, you gave me. They don't remember. They've given too many things to keep track record. They give as a lifestyle. Such people give more than the regular. They don't, stay, they, they don't fight tithe. I say, I should we be giving tithe. Well, they're already giving in the region of 60 to 70%, 50%. Looking for opportunities to support missionaries, support the needy, pay people's rent. They are givers. I know a few people like that. They just give. They, you don't need to coerce them. They are the kind of people that pastors like to pastor. They will come and meet pastor. What do we need, sir? They are looking for how to give. They are not the people that you are, they are waiting for pastor to initiate a giving spree or a giving initiative. They are looking for how to give. Asking the pastor, what do we need? There is one 10 million that just entered my account now. I dedicated 6 million to the Lord. What do I do with it? Not that even the 1 million tithe, they can't say, ah, 1 million is too much. But you have 9. Say, ah, no, this 1 million. Ah, I know what it can do in the life of... Ah, ah, but you have 9. Those are not givers. If you, are like, if you rationalize giving that much, you are not a giver. Givers don't rationalize giving too much. They just give it. The instruction comes, they just give it. Givers would have found themselves broke several times. But not for long. I would explain what I mean. So, they don't stay broke for a long time. Because God supplies all their needs. Sharp, sharp. Because he knows it will be routed. But oftentimes, givers have received instructions to empty their accounts. Oftentimes. Because they are givers. So you see, they'll, you know, they'll go for a meeting and the Lord will just tell them, empty your account. And their account may be 2 million. And they'll give it. And they'll probably go back home with 200 naira or something. And by the next week, they already have 2.5. They're like that. God always channels resources their way because they will be faithful with it and they will give it to the right people. They have portfolio for giving. Huh? Not just for investment, for giving, portfolio. Different types of giving. The ones to the poor, the ones to the motherless, the ones to pay rent, the ones to send people to schools, the ones to help the church, the ones to give to their pastors, the ones to give to their ministry gifts, the ones to send to partner with a global ministry. They have portfolio for their giving. Not just portfolio to invest so that they can receive more. No, this one is giving. There's a man of God I met some years ago. He's a popular man of God in Nigeria. Boy, that man is a giver. Boy, that man is a giver. He brought the sequoia to Ife and he left without it. Imagine you drive a whole jeep. You are going for a ministry. You drive a whole jeep to the place. And right in transit, God tells you you are not coming back with it. And you leave it there and you come back by flight. What kind of a man is that? 
giving as if there is nothing to material wealth. That's how givers are. They don't count material wealth to be so huge. When you hug material wealth tight, you are not the giver. How can I give? Mm-mm. There's nothing too big to be given. So if you are a believer, you ought to give. But if you're a giver, you need to give. Because your ministry is tied to giving. Such people sponsor a lot of things. And usually they don't look like the money they have. Because they don't use their money for themselves. They just give. They don't look like the money they have. They may have millions in their account, but they don't look like it. One shirt, one shoe. Just simple people, but they give. Back on campus, there was this, um, I don't know if you remember, was this CAPM or something? It was a team of givers in Castle back then. They looked for themselves. They formed a team, formed a committee, and they will be, they will be I think they were like 50K every month, students. Oh. Students. They will be gathering money like 50K or 40 or something like that every month. And at the end of like a quarter, after they've gathered like 500K or something like that, then they will now look for a project to do in the church. Beyond tithe and offering. That was so profound. It just helped. It, it just blessed me. One of them came to church the other day, Pastor Aki, I'm sure you know him. He came around. Even with just coming around, he still brought something. That's him. Giver. They are looking for where to give. They are not looking for where to collect. It's where to give. Every time. Every time. It was part of those people. They will just gather themselves, start giving money. Nobody's coordinating. Nobody's asking and compelling. They are just looking for opportunities to give. They'll finish giving. They'll ask the pastor, where, what, what do we do? And then they will push the money in those places. There are many missionaries dying on the field. Because givers are not entering into their ministries. Missionaries. Spreading the gospel. But nobody's sponsoring their needs. Because givers are still debating tight. Amen. So if you're a giver, you know yourself. Be faithful to the call. Give. Give. God brought the money. He will bring more. And as you are faithful with the little, much more will come. Give it. Stop thinking too hard when you receive an instruction to give. If you over-rationalize giving, you will not give. You will just rationalize the way. There's no point, Jerry. There's just no point. Ah, he's fine. I look at him. He looks good now. Why should I give him? I remember the day the Lord told me to give a person to, I, to, to pay a person's MBA. I never do MBA. <laughs> I was just holding his hands. And the man of God said, face your neighbor and pray. Ask your neighbor his prayer point. My neighbor told me, I lay look for money to pay MBA. He has a car. He's married. He's chilled. He's working well in a good place. If he saves for two months, he will pay the thing. Me. I was probably earning one third, or maybe one fourth of what he was earning. I, I was yet to get married. I was like two, three months away from getting married. I, I was squatting with the maker. <laughs> I did not have a place over my head. And God told me, he said, you are the answer to the prayer. Look, give him the money in your account. The money I was saving for wedding. I just give thanks. I said, God, it's okay, no problem. I will give him. And I gave him, just like that. I, I may not be able to define myself as a giver, but every believer should get to that level. Do you understand? But if you're a giver, you would especially receive instructions like that frequently. Praise God. And I just gave it. And it was a blessing. And the Lord told me, see, when you give some types of seeds, the Lord will give you instructions or promises. He says, your life will never be deficient. How did he put it? This was how he said it. Let me try to remember. I may not be able to give the exact way, but paraphrased. He said, you will never be deprived of the benefit of education. 
Yes. So he said, if there's an office to occupy, you won't be deprived of that office because you don't have an MBA or an MSc. Like, like, not in your history, not in your future. It will never happen again. It was that giving provoked that kind of a promise. Because I paid for an MBA when I didn't have one. Ah, I will not be deprived from any office, any designation because of a lack of one. That was what the Holy Spirit told me. And it came because I gave, I offered my offering. Something that was supposed to be used for my wedding. Didn't I get wedded? Didn't God do it? He still did it. So what you are saving for? God will still do it if you give the money you have in your account now. God will still do it. And some of you are saving for iPhone. The Lord help you. Give to things of eternal worth. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy an iPhone. It's good. It's fine. But if that's what you're saving for 10 months to do, improve the quality of your giving. Give for something more eternal. If you're going to save that long, why consume it on iPhone? God can give you a windfall. In two, two days windfall, you get an iPhone. Why would you save for 10 months? Sometimes you need to save to give. Hi. If you're a giver in the house, enter into your office. Tell your neighbor, enter into your office. Look at your neighbor, eyeball to eyeball. I perceive you're a giver. <laughs> I'm a fertile ground. <laughs> Praise God. After giving, what do we have next? We have, we have what? Ruler, yes. Those are those with the gift of administration. Ah! Administration. Just give them any job to do. Go to bed. They will get it done. Rulers, administrators, governors, every pastor. Listen, a pastor is not a pastor because he can teach. He's a pastor because he can rule. All right? In 1 Corinthians 12, firstly, apostles, secondly, prophets, thirdly, uh, workers of miracles. That was how it was arranged in Corinthians. And then began to talk about rulers or leaders. All right? Those that govern. That's pastor. So a pastor is not a pastor because he can teach. A pastor should be able to teach and must be able to teach. But his primary and dominant anointing is not teaching. A teacher can teach, sometimes even better than a pastor. But a pastor's office is to rule. Amen. Is to govern. We have not gotten to pastors and teachers. Though. We'll get there. But that's to tell you the dimension of administration that must be present in a pastor. All right? But there are some people, they are not necessarily pastors, but they are good with administration. They are good project managers. They can govern things. Give them a certain project to do, to oversee, to organize, and they'll get the job done. They will just roll out the schedule, give all the people the work to do, delegate, pa, pa, pa. They are very good with it. I'm sure some of us can recognize some of our pastors who are rulers, givers, teachers. Amen? Amen. All our pastors, for example, are teachers. But some of them have different graces along these support roles. Some are more into giving than others. Some are more into helps than others. Some are more into rulership than others. Tim Mike, for example, is a ruler. <laughs> ruler. <laughs> Praise God. That's the truth. You see, so if you are that way, look for projects to oversee. Look for people to organize. Look for conferences to oversee. Because that is how you help pastor. For example, the overflow conference. I, I, can't, I can't do everything. I have to look for a ruler amongst my, co or my comrades or my associates and give that work so that they can execute. Pastor Inga headed the overflow. She, she was not teaching there. She was ruling, administering, delegating, overseeing, following up. That's rulership. That's governing. That's leadership. Amen. That's rulership. You may have that gift. People like that thrive in project management. 
They thrive in execution. They thrive in things that have to do with managing large projects with several moving parts. They're able to, you know, open dashboards in their head <laughs> and just segment and classify, categorize, and follow up with multiple tasks at different levels. Is rulership. It's rulership. Amen. Praise God. So we have rulers. We have rulers. We have rulers. And then we have mercy. And the Bible says, he that rules with diligence. That means project managers, rulers, they have to be diligent. They are committed people by nature. Amen. They are not lazy. You can't, you can't be dragging your feet around a ruler. <laughs> he will get you in the mood of work. Ruler, diligent, governor, leaders. They get you to get the job done. There's so much work to be done in the ministry. Ministry is very underrated. People assume that, you know, what is required in ministry are the lowest of the skill sets, lowest of intelligence. No. The work of the ministry requires even much more. It's a complex venture. Very complex. Because in, the, in, in, in ministry, there's human relationship management. There is project management. There's financial management in just ministry. Some of you in one career, you have not finished exhausting financial management. Imagine combining human resource management, financial management, project management, psychological management. People come to you with counseling needs and you have to become a psychiatrist on the spot, a psychologist on the spot, a therapist on the spot, a shrink on the spot and start telling them what to do with their lives. Human resource management. How to delegate, put people into offices, give them designations and roles. JDs. Amen. Not Cassidy. Amen. <laughs> but JDs, you get. Praise God. Some people didn't get the joke, but it's fine. <laughs> but there's a certain woman that got the joke. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right? It's important that we understand these things. Rulers, rulers. Now there's mercy. You see, mercy, compassion, they are those that combine giving with helps. Giving with helps. Chai, these are the people I respect the most. These people can give their lives for a cause, and usually that cause is towards the marginalized. A Mother Teresa was in that category. Missionaries are in that category. They're not just giving. Because givers will sponsor with money. They won't go by themselves. So you need money, take. <laughs> Helpers will be there to help. But those who are in this category, they give themselves for the work. They give their life, give their money, give their substance, give everything. Compassion. They are the people that will make their entire life about some children that are marginalized in some place. Not everybody has that grace. So don't feel bad if you see people like that. Just support them, love them, intercede for them. But if you are one of such people, better obey the call. Because your peace is found in your obedience. Don't say there's enjoyment in the city. If you are that kind of a person, you will never enjoy the city. You will never. You will, be you will get a job in an NPC. It will smell to you. You will get a place where you'll be getting plenty money. You will not feel yourself until you go to the backside of the desert and start helping the needy and live with them. Many of them were like that in Nigeria. Came from overseas. Lived with the people in Calabar. Lived with some people in Badagri. Started schools. 
Some of them died of sicknesses and diseases. Mary Celeste or many of them like that. Stop the killing of twins. Compassion. They can't help. They can't afford to see insurgency and do nothing about it. Ah, sort of start NGOs, movements, just to ensure that the marginalized can be succored. Amen. They will run to houses, solicit for funds, write letters and proposals so that they can sponsor water in some village so that some children will not die of thirst or hunger. Such people. So if the ministry gets large enough and you are called into that type of ministry, you are the one to sponsor the humanitarian aid or services of the church to some unreached regions. You are the one to sponsor such projects. Such people don't need anybody to remind them to do their work. They live daily with the groanings of people in their hearts. Daily. Insurgency. They are the ones thinking and praying for those who were, you know, bombed in one place in Kaduna. How do we get help to them? How do we, how, how Lord, these people, they, their hearts always bleed for those who are marginalized. It's a grace. It's a gift. It's a support role. Praise the name of the Lord. And if you're in this category, please locate yourself. If you're a missionary, locate yourself. Your joy, your peace, your fulfillment is tied to your obedience. Oh. It's tied to it. If you love God and you notice what God is calling you to do and you're not doing it, you will not be okay. Oh. I'm not saying that, of course, in a very, you know, evil way, of course not. But I'm just saying so you understand that your peace is tied to it. Your peace is tied to it. And like I said, love the saints. Just love the saints first. Stop asking, who am I, what am I? Love the saints. And as you love the saints, the part of you that is designed to serve the saints will come forth. Love the saints. Just love the saints. Come to church. Look for needs. The needs that you are designed to help are the ones you will see. Do you understand? So as a teacher, ignorance shows up to me every time. I just want to help. I just want to teach you. I just want to bless you with insight. I just want to counsel your life. I'm just looking for ways to help you and develop you. That's, that's me because I'm dominantly a teacher. That's what I'm looking for. Anywhere, I'm looking for how to write something, teach something, explain something, look for more knowledge. That's me. So when I look at someone, you may be hungry, but I may not notice first. But if you're ignorant, I will smell it from a, <laughs> from a very far distance. But someone into compassion is your hunger they will see first. Ah, Koti Joe, let's help him. Praise God. And then you will die of ignorance in that person's presence if you don't get a teacher. So it's a balance of all these things. You see how the body is edified through the contribution of each supply. Contribution of each joint. Supplying in love. Remember, in love. Ephesians 4. I think verse 13. Every joint must supply. Every joint must supply. And then by the time they supply, everybody is edified in love. Praise the name of the Lord. So love the saints. Love the saints. Love the saints like anything. There are some people in your own helps. It's children helps. Do you understand? Because not everything will be captured in the canon. But understand, if your own is children helps, that is you're supposed to support and help a ministry with their children. You have a special affinity for children. So it is that helps towards children that you are targeted towards. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.